Steve came in and he asked me three questions. He said, do you like cats? Yes. Do you smoke? No. Can you spell? Yes. And then he left the room. This is Can Do, a podcast that explores the essential lessons for business success. As the world continues to feel the effects of the coronavirus, uncertainty and unpredictability have become the status quo. It's never been more important to learn from entrepreneurs and industry experts about their experiences and to hear their advice. Whether you're a business owner, entrepreneur, or your career is affected by the current economic climate, lessons shared by our guests can help you make informed decisions about your future. I'm your host, Arnie Sherman. Executive assistants and personal assistants are often the unsung heroes of the business and entertainment industry. They serve as the primary professional interface between their employer and the rest of the world. They provide a myriad of services and a wide breadth of expertise. Once you hire a good one, you'll do anything to keep them. Today on Can Do, meet a great one, Eileen Waterstone. Eileen first worked as a PA for the late actress and iconic star known always as Princess Leia from Star Wars, Terry Fisher. Eileen then spent the next 34 years until her recent retirement as the right hand to actor, comedian, writer, and musician, Steve Martin. We'll discuss with Eileen how she learned her craft, how her role evolved over the years, hear a few insightful stories, and get an insider's perspective on an important career path that is often overlooked. Support for this episode of Can Do is provided by the Dennis and Phyllis Washington Foundation, dedicated to investing in people to improve the quality of their lives. Additional support comes from the Greater Montana Foundation, encouraging communication on issues, trends, and values of importance to Montanans. And Parsons, Bailey, and Latimer, a regional law firm with national experience representing the interests of Montana entrepreneurs and businesses. More information at ParsonsBailey.com. Eileen Waterstone, welcome to the show. How are you today? I'm doing really well, Arnie. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Where are you joining us from? I'm joining you from Los Angeles, California, on the west side here, where it's beautiful today. Tell our listeners a little bit about your background. Okay, um, so I am almost a lifelong Californian. I came here when I was four years old in 1955 uh, from Boise, Idaho. Uh, My parents, uh, Harry and Harriet, were from the Bronx, and my father was in the Marine Corps during World War II, and he got a commission to come out to the Western United States to reopen Marine Corps recruiting stations, which had been closed during the war. Uh, The war was still on, and he was still in the service, and my parents had just gotten married. Uh, This was in 1945, and they ended up in Boise, Idaho. Uh, When my dad got out of the service, He became a minor league baseball announcer and disc jockey in Boise. He was a lifelong New York Yankee fan. He was in Yankee Stadium when Lou Gehrig gave the famous I'm the luckiest man in the world speech. And when I was four years old, my parents were on the verge of moving back to New York when my father got a job in public relations in Los Angeles. So we moved here in 1955, and I've essentially lived here ever since. So that's how you got to California. But how did you end up getting work with two of the most well-known Hollywood stars? You worked for Carrie Fisher, and then you worked for the last 34 years 
for Steve Martin. How did that all come about? Well, I met Carrie in 1985 through some mutual friends, and um, we hit it off, and she asked me to come to work for her. And I worked for her for a little over two years. It was whirlwind, it was fun, it was uh, crazy. And uh, we came to a mutual decision to part. And she gave me three months to look for a job. And that night, the same day that we came to this mutual decision, she and the uh, late writer Buck Henry went out to dinner with Steve Martin and his then wife, Victoria, and they had been desperately looking for somebody and they called me from the restaurant and I went to see them the next morning and I was without a job for less than 24 hours. And that was in September of 1987 and I worked for Steve um, until the end of last year, uh, December 31st, I finally retired after 34 years. And what were you doing before you worked for Carrie? Uh, I did all kinds of things. I worked uh, in production. I worked in the theater. I worked in the clothing business. Um, that's basically what I did. I worked in fashion and the theater and production. And I was working for a promotional advertising company uh, when I met Carrie. And I got out of corporate America on that day, and uh, I never looked back. I was never suited for corporate America, to be quite frank. And uh, I found um, a career that really suited me. So I, uh, I was very happy to work pretty much half my life uh, with these two incredible uh, creative people. What you have experienced is sort of the dream job for a number of people. And you kind of got asked by Carrie Fisher to come work for her. And then you interviewed with Steve Martin. What was an interview with Steve Martin like to get the job that ended up lasting 34 years? Well, it was absolutely hilarious. Um, first of all, his wife, Victoria, who then became his former wife, she conducted the interview, basically. And Steve came into the room at one point, and I had actually met them once before... <laughs> This was great. I met them once before. Uh, Carrie had a birthday party at a place called Calamigo Starcy Ranch. It was a square dance party of all things and um, with a collar. And this was Carrie's fantasy. And I ended up dancing in a square with my friend Bob Newworth. And uh, Steve and Victoria were also part of that square. And that's when I first met them. So I was kind of a known quantity. But anyway, Victoria conducted the interview. And Steve came in and he asked me three questions. He said, do you like cats? Yes. Do you smoke? No. Can you spell? Yes. And then he left the room. That was the extent of his participation in my interview. Well, that was one of the shortest interviews of all time. Well, she took a little longer, but, you know, <laughs> I'll never forget it. So being a, a personal assistant, an executive assistant, you have to learn how to be discreet. You have to learn diplomacy. You have to be you know, learn judgment, you have to decide how to handle, you know, people that, uh, you know, maybe overstepping boundaries. How did you learn how to do all of that? Um, 
I think that part of the reason why I was good at this is because I did not start this aspect of my career until I was in my mid-30s. And so I had, you know, sufficient uh, experience uh, dealing with people of all kinds just as one comes across them in life. But, you know, one of the reasons why I think I was so successful is because I never felt, you know, that I was the celebrity, that they were the celebrity and I was really there to assist them. And so uh, mostly what I did is I was firm, but I was nice. And, you know, Steve told me on numerous occasions, he said, I can't tell you how many people have said to me how nice you are, how helpful you are. And that was because I never saw the point of how some people behave in show business where they're not nice to other people. I mean, that just never seemed to make any sense to me. I never understood that. And there were a few times when I was not nice to people, a few, not very many, and I would actually call them and apologize. And I could picture them on the other end of the phone going, who is this alien? You know, because nobody in that business really ever does that. But that wasn't the way I chose to live my life. And also, you know, I spent a very short time with Carrie, but I spent a very long time with Steve Martin, who is truly one of the most decent human beings I've ever met. And why would a decent human being want to be represented by somebody who did not, you know, show our situation in the best light? And so, you know, I think of myself as a decent person, and I think that was a lot of the reason why we were able to be together for so long. On occasion, however, people do step over boundaries, they push hard, you know, you're you're the gatekeeper for one of the most well-known famous people in the world. Did you have a stock answer or did you did you come up with some way to deal with somebody that was, you know, overly aggressive in trying to, you know, get access to him or get answers to things which which you thought were inappropriate? It's a common problem that PAs and, and executive assistants deal with. Well, you know, I um I always felt like at at some point that I could actually just talk bluntly to people, you know, <laughs> not nasty, but blunt. Uh, for instance, there's a particular art dealer whose name I won't mention. And, you know, he wanted to, me to send him. This was back in the day when we had transparencies of paintings and Steve's a collector. And he wanted me to send him a particular transparency. And this guy had a reputation for trying to sell things that he didn't actually own. And, you know, I just said to him, you know, I said, I can't send you anything without asking Steve first, you know? And I said to Steve later, I said, you know, I didn't want to offend him. And Steve said, it's impossible to offend that guy. You know, so, um, you know, I would just, I would just say things to people like that. And, you know, I would be very clear. Like for instance, somebody would want to send a script and we had a procedure for that. You had to send it to the agent. You know, Steve, by um, definition, can't legally read anything unless it's already, you know, vetted by somebody else. That's just the truth. And so I would just tell people the truth. You know, this is where you send it. 
This is how we do things, and I can't do anything further for you. It was not really a big deal. I did not have a lot of problems with people who continued to push on me after the first response. So you had a very brief interview with Steve. He hired you. What were they expecting from you? What are the tasks that are expected from a personal assistant? Well, um, there's no prescribed, um, you know, list of things that one does. First of all, when I first went to work for Steve, he was essentially an actor and a writer. I mean, that's what he did. He wrote scripts um, and he acted in films. I mean, you know, before I went to work for him in 1987, you know, he had become, you know, at one point, the biggest comic in the world. I mean, you know, he was the number one grossing comedian in the world. He was playing these huge stadiums. But that was long before I came on board. He stopped doing stand-up comedy five years before I came to work for him. So essentially... He was writing and he was acting. And then he started doing more things. He started writing plays. He started writing books. He started writing pieces for The New Yorker. Um, he always collected art. And I really, that was the biggest learning curve for me initially because I really didn't know a thing about art. I didn't know about museums or galleries or how it all worked. And really, I had to learn by doing. You know, um, he had fired my predecessor before he hired me. So I had no training. But I am, you know, I'm naturally either good at things or I know how to ask the right questions. I think that the smartest people are the ones who understand that they don't know everything. And so they start to ask questions. And I'm pretty good at taking initiative you know, to find things out. I mean, one of the things that I love the most is what Richard Feynman, the physicist, described in the title of one of his books, which is the pleasure of finding things out. I like to find things out. And so I had to learn by doing. Most of the time I had to ask Steve. And one of the ways that I asked Steve, this was pretty funny, when I went to work for him in 1987, he had email. I didn't know anybody who had email. Um, and he had a CompuServe account. It was a long series of numbers at CompuServe.com. And he got me on email at CompuServe.com. And the only person I emailed with was Steve in the same house. I didn't know anybody else who had email. And so one of the ways that I would ask him questions is I would shoot him an email and say, Steve, how do I do this? What do I do? You know, how do I fill out this form? How do I fill out this loan agreement from a, from a, you know, from a museum? I, I didn't know how to do any of that stuff, but I really basically just learned on the job. And then as time went on, he started doing more and more things. And a number of years ago, I can't remember how many years, it's not that many, he decided that he wanted to start performing again. And he recorded an album of banjo songs with a whole lineup of, you know, stellar studio musicians called The Crow, you know, songs for the five-string banjo. And then he went out on tour with a band that he met in North Carolina called the Steve Canyon Rangers. People refer to them as Steve's band, but they're not. Uh, they were a band all unto themselves, and he met them actually through friends of his wife and his wife's family, his current wife, Anne. And so he started going out on tour. 
And that actually became my favorite part of the job ever because I've always loved music. And I had the opportunity, you know, to go to shows, to travel, to go to festivals. Um, you know, I just had the most wonderful time. I met the most wonderful people, you know, in that world. I met Earl Scruggs and Bela Fleck and John McEwen and all these, you know, these uh, these bluegrass stars. And, um, and I also had the opportunity, I had never seen Steve live. I never saw him live when he was a comic. And I remember those first few shows, I would sit in the audience. I, you know, I could have been backstage. I chose to sit in the audience to see what the experience was like. And Steve came out on stage and people absolutely lost it. And then I realized he was that guy. You know, he was the guy who starred in The Jerk. He was the guy that used to fill arenas doing comedy. And all of a sudden, there he is live out on the stage. And then, you know, later on, he teamed up with his closest friend, Marty Short. And they're still traveling around doing a show that combines comedy and talk and music. And it's been a one, it was a wonderful experience, you know, to be able to see that aspect of him. You know, to see him live, to see people's response to him, you know, and to laugh along and love the music. I mean, you know, he is, uh, he's extraordinary, truly. And, uh, and I had the opportunity to really see that. And, you know, I had never experienced that with him before. So that was really, it became my favorite part. And it was actually the last chapter of my employment with him. So... I'm speaking with retired entertainment industry personal assistant, Eileen Waterstone. Support for this episode of CanDo is provided by Montana Rail Link, committed to safely delivering transportation solutions to their customers and partners. Additional support comes from the Greater Montana Foundation, encouraging communication on issues, trends, and values of importance to Montanans. And Parsons, Bailey, and Latimer, a regional law firm with national experience representing the interests of Montana entrepreneurs and businesses. More information at ParsonsBailey.com. You mentioned earlier about the CompuServe, you know, writing each other back and forth in the same house. And that brings it to mind to me, you know, the boundaries that need to be established between a, an executive assistant or a personal assistant between their employer and themselves. Particularly in your case, you worked in the same house. So how did the boundaries about you know, walking in and taking something out of the refrigerator? Or how do you separate his personal, personal life from the life that you were involved in, in uh, orchestrating? Um, that's a really good question. Uh, with Carrie, there were very few boundaries. She was very, very casual about everything. And, um, and so there really were no boundaries. And it wasn't because of me. It was really kind of because of her. And that probably created some issues down the line. And, you know, I wasn't aware of it at the time. I was new to this situation. And Carrie was a completely different kind of person. And when I went to work for Steve and his then wife, Victoria, there were definite boundaries. I had an office in the back of the house. I entered by the side gate. You know, I was very circumspect about when I came into the house. I knew instinctively where I could go, where I shouldn't go. Um, you know, I certainly never went back in the personal part of the house. Um, I did, 
go in the morning to his office because my outbox was in his office and I would collect things off his desk. Uh, but aside from that, I really, you know, kind of kept to myself. Um, I never tried to socialize. Um, as years went on, you know, there was some socializing. For instance, um, there was a festival in North Carolina in September, it's still going on, called the Mountain Song Festival, and that was put on, uh, that's put on by the Rangers, and they have various bands come and play. And Steve and his family um, have a house in North Carolina that they built. And, you know, I would come to the festival, I came many years, probably five or six times, and I was always invited to dinner at their house um, the first night when I got there. And that became sort of the first time I really, you know, ate dinner with them. But I stayed elsewhere. I didn't stay in the house. I stayed elsewhere. And, you know, and I was very circumspect about that. I never tried to push myself into their personal life. And, you know, I didn't, you know, for the entire time. But, you know, the other thing was, as you know, the thing that I said earlier, I always knew that they were the celebrity and I was the not celebrity. And also it helps that I have my own life. I have my own life, I have my own friends, I have my own things that I do. And, you know, when I would leave work, you know, I would go back to my regular life. And, you know, and I never felt like I was missing out or that I should be included or anything like that. I think the thing that I would say is I always waited for an invitation before I did anything. I waited for an invitation. For instance, if he was shooting a movie and I might be sitting by myself eating lunch in the dining tent, if Steve invited me to come over, I would come over. But I never felt that I should just sit down at his table, you know? And, uh, and so, you know, that was, always, that was always very clear to me that there should be boundaries. And it was harder, obviously, to maintain a professional distance from somebody that you worked with so closely. It's completely different than being an employee in a large co corporation. In a way, you know, an entertainer that is as multi-faceted uh, as a Steve Martin is almost like a mini company, right? I mean, there's a whole team of people behind him. Uh, that, that work for him. How does a personal assistant fit into that team? Well, in my case, I sort of, you know, uh, coordinated a lot of those aspects. For instance, uh, when I went to work for him, there were agents, there was a business manager, there was a publicist, um, and uh, a lawyer. And so, you know, I would obviously interact with all of those people. I interacted with uh, film companies. Um, I uh, sometimes went to set, I sometimes didn't. If he was shooting outside of Los Angeles, I didn't travel with him uh, to go to uh, the sets. We always uh, hired a, a person, uh, you know, a PA to work with him on set. And even in Los Angeles, we would hire a PA to work, but I could always come around the set and do whatever it is that I did. And, um, but basically, you know, I coordinated with everybody. When he started touring, I worked very closely with the tour manager. In fact, when he did his first couple of shows, we didn't have a tour manager. They were here in L.A. 
Uh, but I coordinated travel and housing for the musicians that came into play. Um, you know, I just learned how to do things. And then, you know, when it became apparent that he was going to be touring more, we hired this wonderful tour manager named Matthew Murphy, who still works with him and Marty. And, um, and so, you know, basically, I just coordinated wherever I needed to be to coordinate. And, uh, you know, there was no aspect of his business life or really his personal life that I didn't interact in in some way. You know, I also did personal things at home. You know, I found and hired a contractor who became his, you know, ongoing contractor. I, I worked with them. I helped schedule things. You know, I, I did all of those things. And uh, so it was very multifaceted, you know, because he didn't have a whole team of assistants. He had me, you know, and then he had domestic help, housekeepers. He has a chef. You know, but I just, I, you know, I worked with everybody and, and learned how to do that. And, um, uh, and I think, uh, you know, that I, you know, ended up being very well liked by just about everybody, not everyone, but just about everybody. And I had a good working relationship with every single person pretty much that I worked with um, because I understood uh, that like me, they were all there to help make Steve's life better and easier. I mean, that's the whole function of a personal assistant. In my opinion, is you make somebody's life easier and better. And you take care of all of the things that they can't or don't want to take care of. I mean, that's just the truth. So you already mentioned that the steepest learning curve for you was to learn about art museums and the art world and because you hadn't been exposed to that. What was the hardest part of the job? Not really sure how to answer that question. Um, you know, I would think that the hardest part of the job for me were the things that I wasn't particularly interested in. You know, like house construction, you know, stuff like that. Um, you know, sometimes it was wildly inconvenient. Um, you know, there were you know, lots of interruptions to the work life. I mean, you know, I, I, I think that I think that the hardest part really for me were the things that I really didn't enjoy, but there were so few of those things. I mean, I enjoyed pretty much everything. You know, my father uh, worked for the same advertising agency for 43 years, and he said, you know, he really enjoyed going to work every day. And that's kind of how I felt about my life once I got this job. You know, I really pretty much enjoyed going to work every single day and it wasn't always exciting and it wasn't always glamorous and sometimes it was buying cat food and even, you know, when I went to the Academy Awards, you know, um, I mostly watched it either from the green room or Steve's dressing room on television when I could have in fact been home in my pajamas eating Chinese food. but. You know, at the end of the night, they all went off to the Vanity Fair party, you know, and I cleaned out his dressing room, but that was my job. You know, that was my job and I didn't mind any of that. You know, I think, I think the best qualification for somebody who's going to do the kind of job that I had is that I never really felt like there was any aspect of the job that was below me. You know, cats and dogs have to eat. 
you know, construction has to be done. If you get an alarm call in the middle of the night and you have to go out, you know, get out of bed, get in the car, drive over to the house, make sure everything's okay. You know, that's all part of the job. The one thing that I will say is unlike many of the people in Hollywood, you know, Steve was not a 24-7 guy. You know, he never, you know, called me at night or on a weekend that he didn't apologize. I mean, working for him was pretty much a dream. You know, I do have to say that he was a dream boss. And, uh, you know, I do want to say this, you know, um, I retired a year earlier than I had an, intended to. I wanted to work 35 years because I liked the number. Uh, mm -hmm. But Steve is essentially living in New York now. He has a young daughter and uh, he's in a second marriage and she goes to school there. And before the COVID, before the pandemic, I was going to New York once a month for a week to 10 days, which was also a very unique experience for me. You know, I spent more time in New York in the last three years before I retired than I had, you know, at any other time in my life. I had always gone to New York because of my family history, but this time I really had the experience of being in New York, which was fun. And uh, I liked being in New York. And so, uh, but when the pandemic hit, I couldn't go to New York anymore. And he and his family actually came out to California uh, to ride out the first six to eight months of COVID. And, um, and then Steve came to me in the summer of 2020 and asked me to please retire at the end of 2021 because they really needed to hire an assistant in New York. It just didn't serve them anymore to have an assistant in California. And uh, at first I was, you know, a little bit hurt, but then I completely understood it. I really understood it that, you know, he really needed somebody who could be on the ground in New York taking care of things. And when I was going there on and off during the pandemic, it wasn't so evident that he needed somebody in New York because I was in New York, you know, enough of the month that it made a difference. But anyway, um, so we hired a new assistant, a woman named Christina, who's lovely and wonderful. And uh, she came out in um, June of last year, June of 2021, to meet me and to, for me to, you know, start training her. Um, you know, we had, I had six months before I retired after they hired the new assistant. So I had plenty of time, you know, to get her ready. And uh, Steve and his family came out for the summer about three days later, and uh, we were he and I were sitting in the family room, just he and I, and Christina was off doing something, and Steve said to me, how's it going? And I said, it's great. I said, you know, she's really nice, she's really smart, and, you know, she likes all that techie stuff that I don't understand, like, you know, inputting, you know, things into programs, you know, which is just not my forte. You know, I'm, I'm another generation. And uh, he said to me, don't put yourself down, which I wasn't doing. I was merely stating a fact. And he said to me, it's been wonderful and everybody loves you. That's the most you can ever get from an employer. That's the dream you get from an employer saying something like that to you. Now, Christine had something you didn't have, which is somebody to train her to start the new job. What, what was the most sage advice you gave her about taking over the, you know, the mantle from you? 
Um, the most sage advice, uh, you know, I said to her, you know, essentially, uh, you know, to, you know, to be discreet, to no boundaries, but she knew that anyway, because she had worked for other people in the business, you know, she wasn't a neophyte, um, you know, she knew how to do those things. So, you know, really, I just said that, you know, that it would be pretty casual and there, you know, there wouldn't be a set thing to do every day. I mean, you know, towards the end, you know, when, you know, they were in New York a lot and I was here and, um, you know, uh, there wasn't all that much to do, you know, and, and, you know, the first six months of the COVID, I mean, Steve basically carried me. He wasn't doing anything and I wasn't really doing anything. You know, I was home but he carried me and uh, which was fantastic. And, uh, you know, then we started meeting up at his house in Beverly Hills a little bit, you know, and uh, so, you know, I sort of tapered off at the end, but I told her that, you know, really it would be obviously different every day and some days there would be more than other days and not to worry about it, you know, that it would just be what it was. And, uh, you know, and I told her how nice they all were and, uh, you know, that, uh, you know, and she seems to be doing fine. I mean, it's now, uh, she's right about her year anniversary with them. And I haven't heard any complaints. And, you know, the other thing that I said to everybody is, um, you know, is that, you know, when I retired on December 31st, it didn't mean that I was going to disappear out of their lives and nobody could ask me anything and don't bother me. You know, I encouraged everyone to call or email if they had a question. You know, it wasn't like I was going anywhere, you know, and uh, there's been some of that. But basically, you know, she's obviously learned the job and knows what to do. And, um, you know, once in a while, I still get a work email from somebody who doesn't know I've retired. And, you know, I pass it along and I just tell her, tell them I've retired and you've replaced me. And, um you know, and I don't, and I don't feel bad about it. You know, I don't feel jealous. I don't feel envious. Um, you know, I didn't know if I would be ready for retirement. It's taken me, you know, it's, uh, it's about five and a half months now and I'm getting used to it. And I actually really like it now. You know, I thought that I would miss all of that. And the truth is I don't really miss much of anything, you know, and, uh, and that's just how it is. And I got an email from Steve's wife a couple of days ago. They've come out here for the summer and they've got a new puppy and they want me to come and see them and meet the new puppy. And, uh, you know, and so it's not like I'm not going to have some sort of ongoing relationship with this family. I will always have a relationship with this family. I was there when their daughter was born. I plan on, you know, still having some sort of connection with her and, uh, you know, because it was that kind of a job. You know, it was that kind of a job. So, you know, it all it all sounds wonderful. It sounds like a dream job. It sounds like the kind of career that anybody who wanted to, anybody that aspires to be in a position of, of being a personal assistant or an executive assistant is the dream job. But as you look back on your career, Eileen, is there anything you would have done differently? Is there anything you would have changed? No, and I'll tell you why. Um, I'm as smart or smarter than a lot of the people I meet. I know that that sounds egotistical, but it's just the truth. I'm, I'm natively smart. 
I'm not well-educated. I got kicked out of college in 1972. I guess if I had ever found a reason to go back, I would have gone back, but I never did. Um, and I realized a couple of things about myself, which are, I am neither particularly ambitious nor competitive. I'm just not that kind of a person. I'm not I don't want to work 16 hours a day. I don't want to deal with difficult people. You know, that's what happens a lot in show business. I mean, you know, a lot of people use this kind of a job as a stepping stone to do something else. And I expect that at some point I could have become, you know, a studio executive, a producer, something like that, if I had really wanted to pursue that kind of thing. You know, I had the connections um, and I never wanted to do that. What happened for me is I found a niche where I could really thrive and, uh, and where I could do what I wanted to do where I had a tremendous amount of personal freedom uh, to do things. You know, Steve once said to me, he said, I have no idea what you do, but everything mm. seems to work. And I said, that's all you need to know, you know? <laughs> and so, you know, I found something that I really liked doing. And I had a lot of perks and I had a lot of benefits and I had a lot of fun and I made a very decent living. You know, I wasn't rich, but I, you know, I made a very decent living and I had a good time doing it. And uh, so, no, I wouldn't have changed the thing. I just found the perfect job for me and I did it half my life and now it's over and I have no regrets. Eileen, it's been a real treat for me and I'm sure for our listeners to spend time with you today and hear about your career. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you very much, Arnie. It was a pleasure. I appreciate your listening to Can Do, produced by Lena Beck in association with Montana Public Radio. For comments, recommendations for future guests, or general information, please go to mtpr.org. There you'll find previous guest contact information and content from all our shows. Listen next time when I'll talk with Bill McDavid of Hall & Hall Real Estate. I'm Arnie Sherman, wishing you good health and prosperity.